0: Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the Win Without Competing Show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, Career Coach One. And author of Win Without Competing. Now, here's Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. Welcome to my show. In tough economic times, it is especially important to implement my right fit method, which will enable you to win without competing in your career and in your life. Listen to learn about my right fit method from my guest interviews. The Anne Edwards Brand of Celebrity Biography. My guest today is Anne Edwards, Pulitzer Prize nominee for her biography, Early Reagan, an internationally best-selling author of Judy Garland, Vivian Lee, Katherine Hepburn, and Margaret Mitchell, author of Gone with the Wind. A native of Los Angeles, she lived for several decades in Great Britain, where her biographies of Queen Mary, the present Queen's grandmother, Diana, Princess of Wales, Wallace, Duchess of Windsor, and royal sisters Elizabeth I and Princess Margaret are seminal books. Edwards will share memories of her early career as a child performer, and her marriage to her third and present husband, Stephen Citron, pianist, composer, noted author of books on the musical theater, and co-author with Edwards on A Memoir and a Musical. Welcome, Anne, to Win Without Competing.
1: Well, good, good day to you, Arlene. How nice to be speaking to you.
0: It's wonderful, Anne take us back to your childhood in what part of los angeles did you grow up and what did your parents do
1: well uh... i grew up in uh... what is now a really very chic part of los angeles beverly hills uh... but at the time uh, when i was a child uh... beverly hills was a little bit more rural than it is today but it was quite beautiful uh... my family owned uh, a famous restaurant uh... called chasen's and uh... which had a lot of celebrities that came and uh... we lived in the house that was behind uh... behind the restaurant and um, that was what my early youth was uh... i was in vaudeville when i was very young um, <laughs> i'm not really greatly talented i don't think i sang uh, but i was able to sing quite loud and uh, it was it was a wonderful childhood growing up. I uh, kind of a fairyland. I think I enjoyed it. Gave know, me a sense of fantasy.
0: I know that you uh, appeared with Al Jolson and Ruby Keeler. Uh, for how many years did you actually uh, perform as a child star?
1: Uh, well, not really very long. Um, uh, it happened really kind of um, surprisingly just just you know one of those things from left field. Um, Ruby Keeler was a friend of, a fa- of the family, and uh, they were she and Al Jolson, who were married at the time, were looking for a young person, a young child, uh, right at my age level, that they wanted to include in a stage show that they were they were doing. Uh, it was an Easter performance in the Keith Orpheus circuit, and they needed a child really to come in at the beginning and to go in the end. They had a little storyline that was going, that was holding this thing together, and then they did a lot of songs and so forth and they need a needed this person to be able to sing one song and to be able to go up and down the stairs with them a little bit in the Shirley Temple mode um and um they uh, uh, uh thought that uh it was possible that I could do it for them, and my mother was not really very agreeable to it, but finally uh finally she was um uh, seduced into it and uh and there I was, so I played their their little girl um it was like for a period of uh under a year uh that I did that, much under a year. Um, i think they chose me because i was kind of cute at the time you know i was redheaded i wasn't beautiful but i had this red these red curls and i was uh... very very uh... uh... outspoken and so forth and uh, it kind of worked uh, i don't really remember too much about it so far back in the past and then uh, after that, um, I became uh, a, a Meglin Kitty. I wanted to really go in and learn how to dance a little bit more, if I, my mother, I guess, thought so, and the, if I was going to pursue this. And so I became a Meglin Kitty. And from there, I became part of Gus Edwards' group. He had a Kitty group. And where is, that's where the name Edwards came from, because he named just about every kid in the place that was, was with him in the show uh, was an Edwards kid. So I became Anne Edwards at that. That time, uh, that was only when I was about seven, and um, it stayed with me. I re- kept it all my life, and um, and that was it. So I I did that for a few years. I did a show uh, with Ken Murray um, uh, here in Los Angeles and uh, then I really uh, I got at that awkward stage that uh, young people do and uh, um, I didn't feel like going on with it and no one was pressing me to go forward and I always really wanted to wanted to write I was a storyteller from very early very very early time I used to uh write all these little stories and act them out and get my little friends to act them out with me and um, and when I was just uh, really, um, like something like 11, I started writing uh, songs, music, and, and, and lyrics and so forth. And uh, that was where I was on my way.
0: Did your parents do anything to encourage you in terms of the writing realm?
1: Well, my mother was a teacher originally, an English teacher, you know. So uh, certainly uh, her great influence on me, Arlene, and I think it's so wonderful and uh, should happen today, was the fact that she was a tremendous reader. And what I remember most about her in my childhood, that uh, there was always a stack of books next to her side of the bed, and she was always reading, and before she got went to sleep, when she got up in the morning, she, she loved to read, and she loved to discuss the books with me, and she always went to the library with me. And books were really a very important part of her life, and so obviously they became a very important part of mine. And uh, I think it was a good lesson to be learned.
0: So she was a wonderful role model, obviously.
1: Absolutely. Fantastic. And, and I, a very beautiful lady, I have to tell you. Beautiful.
0: Well, you're a very beautiful lady oh, as well.
1: I, I thank you, Arlene. I thank you.
0: In terms of your passion for writing, how old would you say uh, you were when you identified that you were emotionally connected and the reason why i'm asking is Anne, i do a lot of career coaching and what's difficult is for many people to get in touch with their passion and perhaps if you could describe it it may help others even as adults to get connected to it
1: well, I, I think it, it's a passion that was really born in me. As I said to you, I always always loved stories. I loved movies. I loved stories. I loved to read fairy tales as a little one. Um, there was that imagination, but it's also a sense of connection that you have. Um, and I think that was what was so wonderful about it for me. I was a rather a lonely child. I was an only child uh my father was away a great deal of the time uh my mother and i were alone uh, quite often and uh i it, it was a form of uh you know creating another life another life for myself and connecting and it was also uh, the ability to baby to really dig down into people's relationships and it started uh, with each other you know and it started really very early in my life uh i mean um, i I was published I had my first published story as shocking as it seems, when I was fourteen. there was um, uh, an a uh, uh, contest that the reader 's digest was running uh, for a story of a reader's the most unforgettable character you ever met and uh... so i sat down and uh... and i wrote it in longhand we didn't have a typewriter and i wrote in longhand this this uh... memorable person that i had and i sent it in and i forgot it and uh... It was something like about two or three months later when I received a hundred dollar check in the mail, which I thought was a, well, was a fortune at that time, a uh, uh, fortune. And they published that. Um, I have to tell you, it gave me a sense of great identity. Um, here I was, I was published, and it was a fantastic thing to happen. Uh, I had a great deal of pride in myself, and uh, and I went forth. I was also very lucky uh, in that when I was only seventeen. I'm living in Los Angeles. Um, I was available to films, and they used to send out uh, scouts, film scouts, that is. And I was no longer interested in performing, uh, but they used to send out film scouts to the high schools and so forth to see if there were any young people who were talented. And this one particular year, the year that I was going to graduate from high school, um, I had written the, uh, the book to the school musical. You know, you have the school musical. I it was a little corny, but anyway, I did it. Uh, school musical and a really wonderful young fellow that I was working with at the time. We both did, we thought of ourselves as Mickey and Judy, I guess, and eventually writing a great expose. <laughs> did you go to Beverly <laughs> Hills
0: High? And- yeah, I
1: did. I did. And it was, um, his name was Mark Sandrich, Jr., and his father had done all the Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire films, you know. So at any rate, uh, we, we wrote this book. It was, this show it was called International House. I won't go into the story, but we presented it um, at school. But they had a, um, uh, a, a, a talent scout there. And um, the talent, and there were a lot of wonderful, talented kids in, in the show. I remember that one of Eddie Kanner's daughters was in it. It was a whole bunch of people, wonderful people. And uh, at any rate, um, the next thing I hear, it's the next day after the show, I get a call from MGM and they ask me if I wouldn't come out for an interview. I couldn't imagine what I was coming out to an interview for, but I did, not very far from Beverly Hills to where they were in Culver City. So over I went. And what they had was a junior writers program, which was a wonderful thing, and we could use that more in some of these uh, television uh, uh, workshops and things. It was quite wonderful. And uh, they said that they would like me to come on to the uh, junior writers program, which they had at the time. Uh, They wanted young writers who... They thought would have talent and um, could, uh, you know, break themselves into into film writing. They wanted to start young film writers, and uh, so I went on this program, and I said, well, I want to go to college. I'm planning to go to college, and they said, well, can you put it off for a few months? We'll give you a six month contract to do this for six months, and I thought, well, that puts me into going into UCLA in February, but okay, you know. So um, so I did, and I had a wonderful experience, and uh, I was able to go through all the different facets that, uh, of movie making. They took us through everything, um, and we got to work with uh, a lot of wonderful people. Um, it was a great experience, and that really started me off. I really started off as a screenwriter and uh... it was not until a number of years later uh... that i decided that what i really wanted to do was uh... write books and uh... and that i had gone off on this tangent but what i had really wanted to do was write books and so i started uh... my first novel and, um, and that was very fortunate that was published. It was called The Survivors. Um, but that was, you know, m- midlife much or early later, midlife. Yeah, much
0: later. Yeah, much later.
1: And up until that time, I had really been writing for films and television.
0: I wanted to step back for a moment about the Reader's Digest article. I was curious. Do you remember uh, the woman that you considered most memorable that you wrote about?
1: Yes, I surely do. I mean, she's still memorable to me, and she was someone I loved very much. Uh, She was a cousin of mine, and uh, she was a hunchback. and, And because of it, it dwarfed her slightly, you know, quite a bit, actually. And she was just this wonderful, strong woman with this great personality, wonderful smile, gorgeous big brown eyes that took in the world when she looked at it. Uh, and she was very, very wise and uh, never seemed to have a, a self-pitying time that I was ever with her. Uh, there was a time, actually, that we lived together that she came to live with us. And uh, even then, you know, day and night, she was just a very wonderful, very special person. She died very young. Um, but um, anyway, that was who it was. Her name was Inez, and I, I will never forget her. She was really quite, quite unusual.
0: I think that it's uh, beautiful that at age 14 you were so sensitive to write about her.
1: Well, I don't know how unusual. I mean, it's it was uh it was quite unusual that someone like that should actually become part of my life. That's how I looked at it. I thought it was a rare special treat because uh, what, you know, this was someone with special needs, really, you might think, but she didn't allow that to happen. And uh, she held a, a, a very, very good job. She was, uh, uh, she was very intelligent. She had put herself through university. Uh, she was really quite a terrific person, and, uh, and I, I felt that I was the fortunate one.
0: In your 20s, you moved to London. How did that come uh-huh. about?
1: Well, it's it's a very long story, and you haven't got that much time. <laughs> but anyway, it had to do with politics. It had to do with a lot of things. And then uh, really I was going through a divorce, and the, the politics were difficult here uh, during the 50s. Uh, and uh, uh, and I, again, I think fortune has always stepped into my life a lot. I, I don't know whether I lure it in or not, but it, but it comes often and uh... there was an english producer, producer uh... that was uh... had come to look for stories and so forth and uh... my agent introduced him to me and he i he asked me if i had any story ideas i gave him a story idea that i had and uh... the next thing i know he uh... he optioned it for me to write a screenplay I assumed that since he was here and he had his uh, uh, production was g- going to be uh, financed by MGM, I, I had I figured it was going to be done in the United States. But indeed, um, when my agent called, he told me, "No, uh, they want you to come to to London and um, and they need you there uh, within about three weeks." And I said, "Did you tell him I have two little children? <laughs> the oldest was six. Oh. And he said, "They said." Uh, uh, yes, and they've agreed that uh, they will supply a nanny for you in a house and so forth and so on. And there I was, so uh, I went to London. I assumed I was just going to do the one film, and then then I didn't know what was going to happen from there. But he asked me to go on to the next project that he had. And before I knew it, Arlene, you know, something like nearly three decades had passed, <laughs> and there I was. Yeah, it's
0: just amazing that you lived yeah. abroad for so long, Anne. And did you move around always because of your career? Because I know you lived in Britain and you lived in other countries. Is what exactly motivated the the moving along?
1: Well, um, yeah. It, well, you know, when you first of all, you know, when we think, it, the other countries were Europe. They were you're talking right, about right, Switzerland right. and south of France. Right. That's all connected when you live in London, you know, or something. You're very, very close to those places and, uh, and you can fly back and forth. It's probably no further than, uh, we might go to Seattle, Washington to get to the south of France, you know, or maybe even shorter than that. I'm not sure. You mean from Los
0: Angeles to go to. From Los Angeles, right. You
1: know, or from, you know, we're not talking about long distances at all. Uh, France is, is after all just across the, the, the waters there, you know. Was nothing, so uh, I did. um, I first of all uh, in England. Some of it had to do with most of it had to do with work, but some of it really had to do with the children themselves. Because in England, uh, after eleven public, what we call public education, which the English just called uh, schools, um, regular schools um the, it it really stops at eleven and it's uh, the rest of the schooling at that time the rest of the schooling for, that was uh, funded by this government was not really uh so uh, you know really great and uh most children with um with an, enough ability to get some kind of a uh, uh, the ability to go to another school a better school or or financially was able to do it uh, had to leave and go someplace else um, there were a few boarding schools that's why they almost all go, went to boarding schools at that time after eleven and uh, so there were a lot of boarding schools in England but it just seemed to me that France and Switzerland were good places so we went down to Switzerland and my daughter went to a Swiss school and um, I think neither one of us have ever regretted that she's really enjoyed it uh, that background had been very good um, and that was, that was really what happened. Usually there was something that I had to do. I loved Switzerland. My daughter used to say, you know, everything, everything works in Switzerland, even my mommy. <laughs> 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 they are so organized, you know. <laughs> <That's> terrific. <laughs> and I guess I'm a little bit of a bit, of a you know, a scatterbrain. My mind is always on my stories. But she felt that even there I was, I was organized there, and that was really quite unusual for me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and we lived in the south of France and uh, I enjoyed that tremendously. Uh, But we used to go back and forth to London, and actually when I did come back to the States, there was a point... Uh point in my life and I was writing books at this time, and I felt that um I was really losing touch with my with my own country in terms of what was happening and so forth when you're not here on a daily basis it's a it, it's a different thing you know as you've just you you feel like you're not ha making that contact, and I felt I really needed to come home. it was time to go home and so indeed uh that's what I did. I came back uh to the United States. Um, the, I, I uh, think you were uh, age 41, Ann,
0: was 41, Anne. I was. Uh, yeah, age I was. 41, Right when right. you met her and
1: actually. It was uh, my daughter was uh, ready for college, and my son was already in college at that time, and it was really because I got married very young the first time, and um, and actually I didn't know where to go because in actual truth, I mean there was no home anymore. You know, my mother was gone. My father. You know, it was there was no no place to go home to, and. Uh, so uh, my, I said, well, to my daughter, where do you want to go to school? And we were working this out. She had gone to Geneva University for a year, and she was going to switch. So, um, so she wanted a school in New England, and so, well, all right, I said, we'll go to New England, because I wanted to be nearby. So we took a, a map of the New England states, uh, enlarged it, and put it on a wall in the kitchen in this very marvelous, fantastic house that I had in the south of France, and put it on the wall and pinned it up. And she blindfolded me, turned me around three times, and I had a (laughs) thumbtack and uh, gave me a push. And she said, okay, Ma. And I walked forward, and wherever my thumbtack hit, that was where we were going to go. And it happened to hit uh, a place called Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And which uh, was really very great, and uh, I wrote I said, "Well, I have no idea, I know it 's a good town they have uh, it 's near Lennox and so forth, and it has uh, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, and that sounded very helpful, and it was only about less than an hour from where my daughter was going to go to school, so I said that 's a very good idea." So um, I wrote them and uh, uh, asked them if they had a chamber of commerce. When I left the states, I remembered that the chamber of Congress used, Congress used to do everything for you. <laughs> but they, yeah, I was, re, I got a reply from a real estate agent, who turned turned out to be a very good. We we were, became very dear friends for life, and um, and she arranged for me to come there to do the thing and everything. And so I arrived in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, and. Uh, um, and there we were, and, and, um, and that was home for me, and it was a rather wonderful turn of events because that's where I met my wonderful Stephen.
0: I'd like to talk about your wonderful Stephen a little bit later. I w- okay. I, w- I wanted to sh- you to share with our listeners how you went from the success of your first book to deciding to focus on in-depth biographies of famous and powerful figures?
1: Um, It was a a progressive thing, Arlene. Um, I didn't realize it, but the the books that I chose to do... All had, although they were biographies, I mean, although they were fiction and uh, and deep stories, you know, and so forth. There was the the survivors. There was a Shadow of a Lion, which was about the McCarthy period in Hollywood. Uh, and those people that went to London, there was one I did about uh, a kind of a um, an, an array of defect, uh, ballet dancer who defected to paris um, there, you know and i I realized that I was doing then I did a, a book called Haunted Summer." which is one of my favorites it, it was uh, about Mary um, uh, Wollstonecraft uh, um, uh, who uh, wrote uh, and, and Byron and Shelley Shelley uh, who uh, did uh, and she did Frankenstein so it was about their summer in uh, Switzerland in uh, 1816 I believe it was and uh I, I realized that what I was doing was uh, doing fictional stories of people that might have lived, or even though I didn't call them who they were, except in The Haunted Summer. But uh, I, was, I was moving more towards real life. I was mixing reality with fiction. And so, uh, there came a point where I really decided, uh, and then I had had one very, very big success, the survivors, uh, and since it had been so successful, I was very nervous about going into another field. You know, when you cross, it's like crossing over. From pop to, from classic to pop or something, you know, I was taking a direct turn. And I knew that that was going to be difficult uh, because I had built up a reading audience uh, in the fiction uh, world, in the fiction department. And here I thought I should cross over to the other. Um, but um, that, uh, but I took on uh, someone who I had known very well. She, that was Judy Garland, who I had known since I was a child. And, um, uh, and had died uh, very very recent very recent to that point that I started her book, and she had left me uh most of her papers and things i won 't go into that, but she had um and she had been in London in the last year of her life and uh and so I went to my editor who was Michael corder at um simon and schuster and i first said to him you know um i have all this material and i think maybe if you have someone that could do um who is a biographer I, i i do feel that this story needs to be written because there's going to be an awful lot of books about her that are that would be very unpleasant very unhappy and i i really feel that i could that what other material i have would be helpful so, um, anyway, uh, he said, well, let me see the material, and I showed it to him. He said, well, there's no reason, Ann, you're going to write this book. So that's what really happened. He pushed me into it because he knew that I was, this is where I was headed, and that's what he told me. He said, you've been heading this way a long time, and this is where I think that you'll do well. And um, he put uh, he put money on the line, so <laughs> I guess he believed me, he believed in me. And um, and I was doing, uh, I, d- I did that book, and uh I'm very pleased with it. I, I think I would never again write a book about someone I knew that well. But um, Why as is a book, it's it, because it tears you apart. It's because particularly if the life has been sad in so many places. It's the one thing I don't want to do autobiography. My, my autobiography because there are so many people whose lives have crossed mine that I feel are uh, they're very sad. My, I I don't think I want to live with that again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, read, relive those days and. Uh, particularly uh, as was with Judy, I felt but if I had known this, if I had known this, maybe I would have been able to help a little. Maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe I would have. But in the meantime, um, there were so many things that that disturbed me and so forth. It was very disturbing. I found myself. Very hard to sleep at nights, and and uh, I really went through a very difficult period writing the Garland book. But on the other hand, um, I felt that I had probably written the book uh, that I wanted to write, uh, that it really uh, portrayed Judy in the in the light that I wanted to see her portrayed, because I felt that she was a survivor, not a victim, and. Uh, and that she that she had survived as long as she did was sheer miracle, so i uh, I really wanted to show the grit of the woman and uh, and I did so anyway, that was that, and from there, I went on to Vivian Lee, and then that was the course i I have through the years um, uh, turned back to fiction occasionally, and I do really enjoy doing it uh, some of that fiction also has been based on biographical material but um Anyway, um, I like to feel that uh, I can do both. In fact, I've just finished a novel, so um, um, and I'm hoping that um, it will reach publication and people will enjoy it.
0: I wanted to hear about, and I know our listeners as well would like to hear, about your biography of early Reagan, for which you were uh-huh. nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Could you explain sort of the whole process of the research, I think that would be interesting to hear about that, as well as why you selected Reagan, per se, to talk about the early years.
1: Well, I felt that the early years were something that had, first of all, when you, when you want to write a, bio, a biography, when you feel, I had wanted to write a book about Reagan uh... first of all uh... i i knew him slightly but only in kind of a professional manner um, but uh... he had made a dramatic change in his political beliefs at a certain point in his life he was also a president of um, the uh... of the screen actors guild for a section of his life and i had been president of the authors guild for a number of years for eight years And there was, like, uh, a lot of things that I wanted to investigate that I – we came from two different political uh, viewpoints, Uh, and I felt that that was a challenge. I wanted to see if I could understand what made him tick, what made – how come he changed his viewpoints, what happened. I wanted to investigate that and um and his youth really interested me his background tremendously i'm really interested in people's early years i think they're they're the formative years and uh, whenever i do a biography i always go in depth in the person's early years uh this turned out really i didn't at the time think i was just going to do his early years he was governor at the time i wrote the book and i thought i might go into that but as i uh began the book it became it became clearer to me that uh, this was the formation of the man at that time i had no idea that he was going to become president of the united states but by the end of the book i guess that it was very possible by the end of the time i was writing the book i went to dixon when i do research i i really like to put myself uh... right where the where my uh... where my character is and so i went to dixon and I, that's where he grew up, Dixon, Illinois, and I spent many, many months in Dixon, and it's a small town. I got to know um, all of his close friends, his teachers, the cousins, his families. I went to all the places he went to, the 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 young woman that he was originally engaged to. I went up to Re- Eureka College and spent... Some, a lot of time there with his coach um, and uh, football coach and so forth and his swimming coach and all these people. Uh, I like to do a lot of um, uh, recordings I do recorded interviews so that I have it all on tape and so forth and um, and as I went along, I realized I really had a fabulous story uh, of um, of the growth of this man it It really turned out to be a life um, Experience for me, and um, and I must say that it, uh, I, I really rate it as one of the books that uh, I think I learned as much from it in writing it as uh, maybe anyone else will from reading it. And um, the other book I can say that about is Matriarch, Queen Mary. But I really do feel that, and uh, so it's always been a special favorite of mine. Um, and, uh, and I was pleased at the end, um, that, uh, the book was, uh, was, uh, reviewed in a very, uh, even handed way. Uh, they knew what my political views were, and I think that they, um, appreciated that I was, I was trying not to editorialize at any point. I was just trying, I was putting this man's life forward as it was. And, um, and that's how I got into it. Uh, I tell you, I had a big surprise, Arlene, Um, a flash-forward a lot of years, when I decided just about five or six six years ago uh, to do a second book, uh, which is called The Reagan's Portrait of a Marriage, going on then from the the governorship into his presidency and uh, and then his early Alzheimer's. And... And so I was back living in Los Angeles at that time, back in Beverly Hills, I'm living in, as a matter of fact. And, um, and so I went to uh, the library and I found, you know, the link, the, um, uh, Reagan Library in Simi Valley. And I was very pleased to find that the early Reagan was being used by the docents, uh, as they took as a reference, as they were going around showing the various uh, displays of his early life and so forth, and they were telling the stories from my book, uh, I found that uh, very, very that's rewarding. Right. Very rewarding, yes. So that was very good. And uh, that's, that's how I got into that. Anyway, it, it took a couple years of my life, and uh, several years, and, uh, um, and it was worthwhile.
0: What did you learn about Reagan that uh you were surprised
1: that surprised you well i think first off what really surprised me and and carried through all the way was his great intelligence uh because none of us in in hollywood in the early years or even with his early pictures even if you were you were a movie goer thought of, of thought of ronald reagan as an intellectual of any sort you know i mean you just didn't uh he didn't come off on screen that way uh there, there was uh, just something about him that that uh, uh reflected uh i don't know what shall i say just mr average joe you know that <laughs> uh, kind of guy uh but um i was just shocked really to find the depth of his intelligence he was a very very brilliant man and uh i had to give him great marks for it uh, he had an first of all he had a prodigious memory Um, and, uh, it was a photographic memory, and he could just memorize just about everything. Uh, and that's what he did in school because he was terribly, terribly nearsighted and he never could see this, the, the, the board or read the, you know, and so forth. So he used to memorize everything so that when he got into class he would be able to answer correctly. And he taught himself how to memorize it, uh, when he was very, very young. They didn't put glasses on him until he was almost 12, 11 and a half. And up until that time he saw a blur in front of him practically for the whole, for his life, for his early life. So they couldn 't afford glasses is one of the reasons, so this is depression time, bad times, and so forth i 'm talking about so anyway that was that was uh, probably the thing that that um, uh, surprised me the most uh, pleased me the most um, and The second thing, I think, is that the more that I read uh, about his years uh, at the uh, Screen Actors' Guild when he was president there was his brilliance in his negotiating abilities. And uh, and he certainly was a fantastic negotiator. Um, And uh, I was not pleased with many of the results of what he did, which uh, does not mean that I didn't uh, admire him for his ability to get to where he wanted to go. But uh, at any rate, he was a tremendous negotiator. And I think those things are are what the book brought forward. And... uh, uh, there was a lot of material in there that no one had ever had before and which I seem to find being quoted constantly in every book on Reagan that, that is that is published since that time.
0: Well, you set the standard,
1: Anne. <laughs> I set the stage. I'm not sure I set the standard. Early. Well,
0: I think you're setting the standard. Let me ask <laughs> you, too, about his relationship with Nancy. I mean, we know it was a right-fit marriage.
1: Do mm-hmm.
0: you have insight as to what were the components that created the right fit marriage?
1: I do, but I tell you honestly, I think it goes into great depth and uh into things that c- can be found in the book i'm not trying to sell the book or anything get it at the library if anyone wants to i'm a, gr- a great backer of public libraries but uh... i really go into that very deeply in the book but a lot of it really had to do with their uh... with their the 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 things that they were minus in their own life that were absent in their own life the things that they were seeking when they were younger uh and so forth and uh it seemed to kind of uh when they came together um, they seemed to match up you know uh and it was really uh, Nancy really needed uh, a man that uh um, that thought of her as being uh, everything for her uh she had um, Uh, A great respect for her stepfather, but he was a stepfather. Her own father really deserted her and so forth. She had a lot of needs uh, that Reagan was able to answer. And Reagan really needed someone uh, who really was willing to dedicate her life uh, to, to him and she, that's where Nancy really came in uh, she did which Jane Wyman had not and most of the women that he had known or had affairs with in Hollywood had not they had their own careers they had their own thing Nancy had a career but really what mattered to her was marriage and Reagan and I think that's what it really was and she devoted her life to him they really, they really were a complete they were complete together
0: you had mentioned that you just finished writing a novel. Uh, are you mm-hmm. able to share the title of that novel? Yes, it's called the
1: Marquesa, and um and it's really just uh, just finished recently um and it goes It goes back to the um uh, turn of the twentieth century uh It does take place in uh, at first in louisiana new orleans and then in the early days of los angeles eighteen eighty six and so forth and it's about a a strong woman of uh... mixed heritage and color who uh... wants to make a, a, a life for herself and though she can't do it in louisiana Uh, and uh, comes to Los Angeles, which was then very much uh, uh, Latino. And she comes to Los Angeles, and she... uh, is a very, uh, really becomes a tremendous uh, businesswoman. She has um, um, uh, uh, vineyards and so forth, and, she becomes, and she's a very strong woman and goes through a great many uh, upheavals and things in life. And it's about the early history of Los Angeles and about uh, a woman's independence.
0: In terms of your next book, do you uh, think yes. that you will do another biography?
1: Do I think I'll do another biography? I'll tell you, I always say that what I have are, are epiphanies. <laughs> I never say, all right, the next time I'm going to do this, or the next time I'm going to do that, or I want to, you know. And my, I have never yet written a book that's say, a publisher or an agent suggested I did. No, that's not true. I did one. but I. But out of my... 20-some-odd books that I've written. I've, only one was, and that was the DeMille book, was a book that actually I was asked to do and did. The rest of the books are really are books that I really came to myself for particular reasons. And usually what happens to me, I will wake up one morning or two mornings or three mornings, and something has uh, come to my head, and which is a question if you 're going to write a biography, you really need a question. There has to be something that you feel hasn't been answered uh, publicly about that person's life there's some mystery that 's involved in that person's life, um, and that needs to be answered I'm, I always call myself you know the the Miss Marple of biography. <laughs> Detective, but I, it, it, if that's the, the way that you, that it really has to be. There has to be something that has to be solved. I don't pick someone just because they're a famous person and I think, oh boy, because it's a. Uh, uh, Catherine Hepburn is going to sell or, or Vivian Lee or whatever in fact in fact Vivian Lee uh, Michael Corder did not want to publish a book about Vivian Lee he didn't think that she would uh, be popular to the American reading public uh, she was English um, the book the one book that uh, the one film they knew about her really that they uh, it was really gone with the wind and uh, he just felt that that would not uh, be a book that I should follow because um, I had had a very good success with with the garland book and but there was such a mystery about about vivian and i won't go into it but there was about what made her who she was and so forth and i was fascinated with her and uh, as a person, as a, not not just as an actress at all, but as a human being, and um, and because of that, uh, that's why I fought through and I said, I, this is what I want to do, and and he finally agreed to let me do it. It turned out to be the biggest bestseller I ever had. It was. Uh, uh, I forget how many weeks, 16 weeks at number one on the bestseller li- list in New York, and there were only 10 books at that time. And it, it, it really was a very big, a universal went around the world. It was a very big bestseller. And uh, and it, and it's still, I think people still remember that book, and I think that it was possibly one of the best things I've written or one of the closest I ever came to get under the skin of someone. Uh, and in order to write a good biography, I think that's what you have to do. Does no. that help you? <laughs> yeah, that
0: helps me because um, I wrote my doctoral So if you
1: want to know what I'm going to write next, I right. haven't had that epiphany yet. <laughs> right,
0: right. No. Well, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on creativity and writers, and I think I'm struck with how your creative process uh, matches what I had written about in terms of how people go about being creative. And I think Uh a beautiful job of explaining it so people could relate to it. Now to your wonderful husband, Stephen. Yes. You've been married more than thirty years.
1: Yes, we have close to forty. Oh
0: boy! (laughs) How did you know that he would be the right fit? I know that. I didn't. You. I
1: didn't, darling. (laughs) You
0: didn't. I. I know you had two marriages before that weren't the right fit. And... No,
1: they really weren't. And uh, no, I can't blame those two two gentlemen, but uh, they certainly weren't the right fit for me. Or maybe I wasn't the right fit for them. Uh, however, I had two wonderful kids that came out of them, but out uh, of those marriages. And I learned a lot from each marriage. But, um, uh, no, but... Uh, uh it was it was just a matter of uh of chemistry let's put it that way there was tremendous chemistry uh i it, it, he just seemed to uh Really have um, his mindset was very much the same as mindset. My mindset. He was interested in all the things he really loved, all the same things I loved, and disliked all the same things I disliked. I don't know that that's right for everyone. But uh, after my my last, the two marriages before, and a couple of very unpleasant affairs. Some some were not that unpleasant affairs, you know. in which I had had some affairs with some very powerful gentlemen uh I they, they it, it, this was just really right we both just loved music the theater uh we were both creative so we understood what living with a creative person meant you know uh you didn't demand the same things perhaps out of them uh that uh someone who who wasn't uh, creative might demand out of uh, out of another person you know um that is it it was all of those things that were involved um it was difficult for bo- both of us were just recently out of a marriage we were both just recently uh... separated and and on our way to divorce um... and uh... So we were vulnerable. I think that was part of it and um and you 've met stephen so uh he he, he he just was an easy person to fall in love with well <laughs> oh,
0: he's lovely he's absolutely he really lovely. is no
1: so he is he's um uh, he's a great he has a great be- uh, uh, take on life you know uh he's a very positive person and he has a great take on life and he 's able to um really deal with um a lot of uh, life 's problems and uh uh, and come up smiling, no matter what it is, you know, and come up with something. Um, it's it's really been very lucky. I could wish that on, on all the people I love, that they that they have that kind of a relationship with, with the person that they settle down with. It was really um, just wonderful. We could have really walked away from each other, to tell you the truth, because there were moments in the very beginning where I think both of us said, my God, we just got out of these terrible relationships. What do we want to get back into something again for? <laughs> you know, because really, because I came to to Stockbridge thinking, forget it. You know, I might as well wear high collars and uh, go to a nunnery or something. I'm just not interested. <laughs> But I don't think he was very uh, pleased to get involved in anything because his marriage had been very difficult and the divorce had been harder. So I don't think so. so uh, but And he had a little boy, you know, four and a half years old at the time. Oh. So uh, I think that, um, that, you know, we had those things and we overcame them very quickly. Um, and uh, that was it. We just, we just knew uh, very early, very early in the relationship that this was it for the two of us.
0: What motivated you to buy the inn in Stockton and to write the Stockbridge, book? Stockbridge, that was Stockbridge. Yes, Stockbridge. Yeah. Uh, the inn and us.
1: To write the inn and us. Well, actually, yeah, uh, yeah, the, what, uh, what, what Steve. Actually, it was Steve that bought the inn in stockbridge steve uh, has is a musician and he's a tremendous musician and uh, he was also a teacher and all these other things but he was really a musician he played in a lot of clubs in new york a lot of all the well-known clubs in new york and he had been edith pf's accompanist and, uh, you know, he had kind of, uh, been through that kind of tough, rough kind of life. And he had a little kid, four, little four years old, or three and a half at the time. And his marriage was going on the rocks. And, um, and uh, he really decided he had to get out of New York. And, uh, and out of the, the nighttime club life and so forth and so on and uh, he always liked to cook and he, and he still likes to cook and he likes to eat so so uh, anyway uh, he made this decision which was kind of a crazy decision for him this is before I came along just before I came along uh, that uh, he, he saw this this uh, wonderful place and uh, and he decided that was for sale and he decided he would he would buy it it was an old Christmas it was called the Christmas Tree Inn and it had once been a coaching stop, stop uh, back in uh, the 19th century and so uh, he bought it and uh turned it into this inn, and then the marriage went to pieces within months after that, so there he was alone at the inn. So when I came in, and as I, you know, I was raised behind a restaurant and uh, right. the theater and so forth, and I understood entertainers and so forth, and so I just really the door was open, and I walked in, and there we were. we were just really right together, so we ran the inn it had there were a lot of wonderful ex- things that happened in that the inn and Uh, a lot of experiences we had Uh, it was open only for about four or five nearly five years four to five years and then we realized that really we had outgrown the the inn in terms of it was each other that we really needed and we we never were just innkeepers Uh, the inn was our secondary thing we were but it was consuming most of our life because music was always first with Steve and writing was always first with me and so here we were balancing these balls, you know, and they and, and kids as well, teenage kids four and a half year old you know it was so it, it became too difficult, so we we sold the inn, and then after we sold it, we thought it 's really a fable it 's a story. Um, that so many people have this dream of running an inn, of living this kind of a life. And we knew from the inside what it was like. And since I was a writer and had a publisher, I suggested it. I told my editor about it, and she says, well, why don't you two write the book together? And so we did, and that's how the book came about.
0: And then you went and purchased Mr. Blanding's Dream House.
1: Right. right we did. Yes, I've lived in a lot of famous houses.
0: I know, uh, all my accidents. Yes, it's yes. really
1: crazy. The house that I had in the south of France. Uh, was the the where, when I lived in the south of France was the house that they had filmed a picture that starred uh, julie andrews it was um, it was called star and it was about gertrude Lawrence and so forth and anyway, that house was there, and I got that house because my ex husband was a producer and that 's how we got in, i got that finally got that house but it had been a famous house because it had also been uh, it led right onto the Mediterranean to the sea, and it had these thirty nine steps that went down to like an underground passage to the sea and It was really the house that was the basis of the idea for the book that was written that the film was then made of the thirty nine steps and so that was a rather famous house in the in in this tableboulier Sumer, that I lived in at that time and uh, it was quite an experience there and then uh, Mr. Blanding's house was uh, really uh, much more accidental than that uh, because um, we had uh, here I was now and we decided to sell the inn, we sold the inn and um, we, we decided we would go to Connecticut, my, my mother was originally from Connecticut I won't go into that whole story but uh, I don't know, out of all the places that we wanted to go, we wanted to be close enough to New York you know, all of that, back and forth, Steve had his Studio at Carnegie Hall, so um, so we wanted to be in Connecticut, and we had really picked the area uh, where it's um, uh, Roxbury, Kent, uh, Sherman, all around in there, so which is a very beautiful area of of Connecticut, wooded area and mountainous area. So we we were looking there, and um, and I said to. Uh, to the real estate agent. She was taking us to all these places that uh, looked like it was um, California Valley or something like that. I mean, I mean, everyone. It seemed to be, um, you know, all this uh, countryfied kind of thing. And I said, look, do you have? I mean, you know, I don't want to just move into a house. Do you have a house that's a challenge, <laughs> ah. <laughs> that needs something, that needs to be loved? You know, <laughs> do you have some? She said, well, I have a couple of them, you know, and a but I thought you'd rather have, you know, I said, no, let's, well. so anyway, she, the first house that she took was, too, get, took me to, was re, took Steve and I to was really too much of a challenge, <laughs> it looked like it was falling down, the second house, uh, she didn't even mention it was Mr. Blanding's stream house as she took me in, but we fell in love with it from the moment we did, and it did have a lot of serious problems that had to be taken care of, and, uh, and so we went in, and then she said, oh, by the way, you know, this is the Mr. Blanding. Dream House, and this is, and I thought, well, it was meant to be, you know, that we would so get another film house
0: after the movie, right? Then, Anne. <laughs> oh
1: yes, after the movie, after yes, the movie, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, actually, Dory Sherry had lived right down the road from the house, and so forth. It was right, and um, the house was uh, really w- wonderfully set. I, I loved, I loved it. I loved, it. we loved the house. Uh, we only sold it in two thousand, and we lived there for. Uh, way over 20 years, 20, 28 years, I think. We we really love the house. Uh, but, you know, there's a time in life where, um, where you have to move on, and uh, that was the time. So I hope someone else is enjoying it now.
0: You have had many right fits throughout your career and one right fit husband out of three.
1: Yeah, pretty good average, don't you think?
0: <laughs> what advice? Although the other two, I don't
1: know, the other two didn't quite make up for just getting one. (laughs) (laughs) What
0: what advice do you have for our listeners who may be struggling with their careers and personal lives? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, God, I can't really uh, speak for everyone. I, I don't like to give advice. I think you have to lead with your heart first and follow with your mind. That's what I think. Oh. And I think I think it's true uh, whether it's your career uh, or whether it's uh, your relationships with friends, with lovers, with husbands, with wives, with whoever it is. I think that's it. I think you have to feel something... Uh, in your heart first, uh, for... The, the career, the, what you're doing, that the work that you're in is the kind of work that you think you'd be happy in, that you feel content with. And I don't mean it has to be creative. I mean, whatever it happens to be, there are many, many more people in this world who are really not creative there, but, but they, they have an organized thought or they have an, a, a leaning towards something that I, I would never have and really envy quite a bit. So um you know I think you have to uh, kind of go with with what the flow is and not not try to be anything that someone else wants you to be or that society says that you should be or you know or that um you feel uh that uh you know that it might in in some way not please a certain person or whatever you know I mean so many so many young people do things to please their parents or um you know our husbands do things to please their wives and to support their families uh i'm afraid i'm much of a free thinker i think you're going to be much more successful if you do if in your in your work whatever you choose is your life's work uh if if it's work that you really love to do if you're happy in it and i think you always will succeed if that's the case you may not succeed on the level financially that perhaps you dreamed one day you you would do, uh, but I guarantee you you're going to have a better life.
0: Your children has have uh, has either of them become a writer?
1: Well, uh, both of them have talents uh, in in the writing field, uh, but on a kind of different level. Uh, my son was a a, a poli- political speechwriter actually he worked for bobby kennedy and and uh charles goodell and uh, bella adsug and and um and now he and he has been for years director of the um of the uh, uh, of the uh, of the, uh, of the, uh, of the uh, teachers union but uh... and he teaches and so forth uh so I would say that yes he writes you know uh and uh and he's been very successful in what he does uh it would not be i guess termed as uh, the same kind of poli- uh, uh, he does political writing mostly, but he certainly is a writer. Uh, my daughter is in is in fashion she really started in in writing she was a book editor for a short time, children's book editor um, and because she was trying to find herself she was always a good artist, but you know that's a very difficult a thing to try to find a job in, so she was always a good artist and designer and so forth and then she found uh, then she was in in fashion and she 's uh, in fashion and she Um, has her own company, but she also deals with other companies. She's a partner with Donna Karan and something, and so forth and so on. So they've been both successful in what they're doing, and I, and, uh, I think writing has been like part of what was part of their life. And I was always sure that there were a lot of books, a lot of books like my mother had, you know, around the house, so that they were always readers.
0: Well, Anne, it's just been delightful chatting with you today. And I hope that you will join me again soon. Is there anything more that you would like to add before we close?
1: No, I just want to uh, wish everyone uh, happy holidays, whether they're Passover or Easter or whatever it is. May they have happy holidays. May they have good thoughts and a good life.
0: Thank you so much, Anne. And we look forward to reading your next book.
1: Oh, that's good. Thank you. It's good to be with you, Arlene.
0: Next week, we will not be doing a show. That's Wednesday, April 8th. Please join me the following Wednesday, April 15th, at 5 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. My guest will be Rosie Lee Hooks, a multifaceted career phenomenon. Rosie is the director of the Watts Towers Arts Center, the tour program for Watts Towers, and the Charles Mingus Youth Arts Center. Digging deeper, Rosie is an award-winning actress who won the prestigious NAACP Image Award for Best Supporting Actress. She toured the United States and Europe With the Mark Taper Forum. At the Smithsonian Institution, she served as a diplomatic liaison and director of field research. And then, tune in to learn more. Save the date. Barrow Global Search, Inc., of which I am the founder and CEO, is conducting a national contest to identify. One Right Fit Unemployed Candidate to Coach Live on this show. On Wednesday, April 22nd at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we will announce the winner and do the coaching. Please follow subsequently uh, the winner walking down the Right Fit Road until he or she hears you're hired. For more information about my book, visit winwithoutcompeting.com and drbarrow.com. To reach me, call 310-441-5305 or email drbarrow at winwithoutcompeting.com. Remember this trigger tip. It's all up to you to change your career and your life. Goodbye for now. This is Dr. Arlene, author, Win Without Competing, Career Coach 1, founder and CEO, Barrow Global Search That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW report Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.